Welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Reverend Squires is the pastor of counseling here at First Presbyterian Church, and I'm the intern for biblical counseling, Josh Adair. This is the sixth episode in our series on sex and sexuality. Today, we discuss a particular point in the life of our Savior in John 4 and draw out some implications for how we understand our fight against sexual temptation as believers. If you have any comments about our show or a question about something you hear on this episode, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can find all of our contact info on our website at firstpresscolumbia.org. If you'd like to stay updated with new episodes as they're released, please download our app. We hope this this ministry is a blessing to you and to those around you. Let's get to the conversation. Well, welcome back, Josh. Good to see you. Good to see you, Josh. So we have already talked about a biblical framework of sex and sexuality. Yes, we have. Tried to talk about what it looks like in its positive light, the kind of the four goods of sexuality. Yeah, and that was, we talked about how there's, the framework is ultimately built on those four pillars of pleasure, consummation, procreation, and intimacy. That's right. Yeah. And then the past couple of episodes have really been talking about the negatives of our sexuality and how it can really be a thing that owns us at times. Sure. And how we use it poorly, kind of consumeristically, and now mm-hmm. that's been a truism throughout Scripture. It's nothing new to our particular time. Yeah, and that's really hopeful because whether it's on the individual point, individual side of God's people, or whether it's on the corporate side, uh, yeah. the truth is that it's always been an issue, but it's not something our Savior is ignorant of in our lives today. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's actually what we're going to pick up today. Is we're going to talk about Christ and His own life and how He's not foreign to the. Con- context of sexual temptation. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Josh, I was thinking about this, and even before we begin to discuss uh, our our understanding and or this episode from the life of Jesus in John 4, you know, when I was in campus ministry, my campus ministry days, we used to even have a whole talk we would do with students about moving from sexual brokenness mm-hmm. to sexual wholeness. And mm-hmm. I was... I was beginning to wonder, as we, we've been doing this series, is that even a right framework to bring into this conversation as we begin to think about fighting sexual temptation? Yeah. So I think I understand the impulse there, which is to talk about currently in our culture, sexual sin is dominant. Sure. And it's very rare that you meet someone on a college campus or a young adult that hasn't been in the battle of sexual temptation for years. Yes. And that there are instances where they have slipped into sexual sin. Mm. Now, that may be just lust. It may be pornography usage. It may be actually uh, sleeping with somebody and having sex with someone who is not their spouse. So I think the question is, how do you go from that particular place to a place where you are treating your sexuality in accord with how Scripture would tell you to treat your sexuality. Sure, right. Sure, so sure. I think I think that's the question. However, the language of the question is actually for me a little problematic. Sure. So the idea of brokenness—that's a very, very—it's buzzword right now. Yeah, yeah, it is very buzzword, very contemporary. Sure. We talk about brokenness rather than sinfulness. Mm-hmm. But from a biblical perspective, I don't know what you do with brokenness. Hmm. From, a, from a biblical perspective, if we say sinfulness, if we say sexual sin, what's the remedy to, to sin? The remedy to sin is redemption. Is redemption. It's yeah. grace, right? Yeah. God's grace. Mm-hmm. And then 
being redeemed and knowing God's grace, we more and more live unto the call to which we're called, right? It's sanctification. Yeah, it's undeserved, and it has the power and the resources to make us who we should be. That's right. Mm -hmm. But when we then get into brokenness, Mm. what does it mean to be broken? What does it mean to be whole? Hmm. And at what point are you sexually whole? Mm. If you uh, make sure that you don't sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, are you sexually whole? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I can understand where you're going with that because it's it begins that whole broken and whole language. On one side, it might almost be over-realized in, in terms of our trajectory in the Christian life of in this life, yeah. on this earth, before glory, moving yep. to a place of wholeness. Yep. But secondly, it it begins to adopt almost too much of the language of our sexuality being our primary identity. That's right. That, that's yeah. a great point, too, is that yeah. it does front sexuality. And if sexuality isn't somehow fulfilled, we aren't fulfilled. Yeah. And, and can even in a subtle way, almost drive a sort of consumerist view sure. of our sexuality. And the other thing is, is that like once you're married, let's say you have a proper context for your sexual expression. Sure. Does that mean you never have sexual sin? Yeah, exactly. I mean, talk to most of the married men and women that you know, and I, that's a lot of what you might even see in a counseling room at our at our church, you know? Exactly so. right. And there are two places, so just pragmatically speaking, there are two places where sexually transmitted diseases flourish. Mm-hmm. One of them you might be able to guess, and it's college campuses. Do you yeah. know where the other one is? Nursing homes. Nursing homes. That's not just a funny Parks and Rec episode. No, it is not. <laughs> Though it is, just, it is that, but it is not just that. Maybe slightly irreverent. You, yes. should, you should be forewarned <laughs> right, of that. Right. Trigger warning. But, you know, the idea that some people have like okay once you get to this particular point in life you are now whole yeah it does not happen this side of glory absolutely so so i think it sets an improper expectation mm. and we need to recover the more biblical language which is sexual sin hmm. grace hmm. sanctification holiness hmm. and and when we sit there it's like telling someone who wants to lose weight you know what you need to do diet and exercise yeah it's it's no one likes to hear that. Yeah, no one does. It, because no it's the, does. it's the standard answer that works. People want a pill, mm. they want some miraculous something or other and so wholeness and brokenness I think are the current buzzy sort of things. But if we just get back to our standard biblical language, we've got such great pillars to stand on yes. and it's so helpful for us as we look out through life. So, I, I would want to recover I think more of a biblical framework on that particular question. I understand the heart of it, yeah. but I would want biblical language. There. And that's also not to say that our sexuality is not important or a part of who we are. Right. Um, but it even further shows you where in in terms of how we rethink about this, how we change our de- desires. This shows you the nature of our sanctification that we're we are thinking and feeling and desiring people and all of that needs to be and de- or Thinking and feeling and doing, people, all of that needs to be redeemed and brought under the lordship of our Savior. That's right. So, but that does bring a good point. And speaking of our Savior, one of the things that I think has been very challenging to me as I've heard Derek even mention this uh, yeah. uh, is the idea that when you look at a passage in Hebrews where it says, in Hebrews 2, our, I believe it's Hebrews 2, our Savior was made like us in every way. Yeah, and then, tried and tempted as we are. Tried and tempted as we are, yet with, found without sin. Yeah. That's, that's the good news. Yeah. There's a way that we believe that uh, intellectually that we functionally forget, or it's very easy to forget in our lives as Christians. And right. so 
You know, I've heard Derek mention from the pulpit this idea of an episode from Jesus' life in John 4 where our Savior knows what it's like to be sexually tempted yeah. from this episode in his life. And it makes people uncomfortable to think about, but I'd love to talk to you about it. How do, how yeah. do we consider our Savior's, our Savior's battle, if you will, yeah. against this area of, of obedience to our God and to what he commands of us? Because if he's like us in every way, as yeah. Scripture says, we need to have a healthy framework for how we can first, before we ever talk about fighting sexual temptation, yeah. of looking to our Savior and looking to the cross, who is who is obedient in this area for us. Right. You know, if sexual temptation is such a big area as it is in Scripture, sure, is one of, like we've said before, a primary example, an analogy to the unfaithfulness of Israel and of the people. Mm-hmm. If you take Hebrews as you should accurately, then mm-hmm. you cannot keep Christ from this particular area where yeah. he would be tempted. Yeah. Okay. Bunch of things we need to be able to say here. Sure. Just because he has been tempted does not mean that in any millisecond he actually lusted. Yes. It means that he is in the context mm-hmm. of temptation mm-hmm. and he's aware that he's in the context of temptation. Yes. And that he's choosing volitionally to do something other than focus or give in to that temptation. Yes. Let's talk about the context for a second so that people understand what's going on. And this is John 4, the woman this is at the John well. 4, the woman at the well. That's right. So women would typically come and get water in the mornings, and they would come and get water in the mornings because that's when the water was cool. So it was only people of ill repute that would go to the well at the heat of the day. And Mm -hmm. so when Jesus goes and he sees this woman at the well and it's the heat of the day, he knows, and everybody would know, that it's really somebody of ill repute that's going there. Sure. Secondly, women were to be escorted everywhere. So their husband was to escort them or someone appointed by the husband who could escort a woman or maybe multiple women from the family, multiple generations. Hmm. But a man would be the one who would go and escort women through the marketplace and to the well and whatever. So the fact that she is unescorted, the fact that she is there in the middle of the day, Jesus knows that this is a woman who is held to be in ill repute and probably because of some sort of sexual sin. And if you think back to our first episode where we talked about just even the ancient first century attitudes of sexuality in general, women were viewed, how did did you say it as well? Insatiable sexual animals. Yes. And so there's that sort of context against this backdrop as well. That's right. Good point. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, Jesus, and interestingly, he sends his disciples off, uh, and then he has a one-on-one conversation with this woman. So it it would have appeared to this woman, certainly, that Jesus is beginning a conversation with her, knowing what her reputation was. Maybe he is interested in something Mm. from her. Sure. So she begins this conversation, and the conversation from her is very flirty Mm -hmm. in a very subtle way, wanting to talk about the major debate between the Samaritans and the Jews. Um, That is uh, where true worship happened. The the Jews, of course, worshiped in Jerusalem. The Samaritans had this weird version of a Jewish cult ritual worship style. If you will remember when Israel and Judah split, uh, that the king 
created two separate golden calves, yes. and there were two places for them to worship. The sin of Jeroboam. Yes. Right. And so they never completely got that out of the land. And so the Samaritans mm. would make these claims that they were the true Yahweh worshipers, mm. not the Jews. Yes. And so the the hot-button issue between these groups was, what is true worship and where is true worship? Sure. And she's trying to kind of get Jesus into an impassioned discussion. Hmm. Now, you also have to keep in mind that the moment they begin talking one to another, it would have been improper. Sure. At, at least from the outside, people would have thought that this was improper. Yeah. There is a old Jewish, I don't know if it's a wives' tale. It, it, it's written down. I, I don't know if it's true or apocryphal, but there was a man coming from Galilee, and he got to a fork of in the road, and he asked which way to light up. Mm-hmm. And the woman rebuked him. Oh, wow. And the woman rebuked him because he used two words more than he could have used. He could have asked the question in a more efficient way. He could have used like five words instead of seven or whatever it was. A really minute difference. Oh, wow. But this woman rebuked him and said, you are being overly flirtatious, basically. Oh, wow. By addressing a woman (laughs) and using two extra words. Oh, wow. Okay. They took it that seriously. Yeah, that's how seriously they would have taken male-female one-on-one communication. Brings a whole new light to stopping into a gas station to ask directions. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So the fact that Jesus is entering into this one-on-one extended conversation and she's trying to draw him into the conversation, sure. the overarching atmosphere would have been that it's sexualized. Yes. I'm trying to get you into an actual relationship with me yes and plus i remember from derek's own articulation of the context he he says this is jacob's well uh, and in scripture it's where uh figures went to go find wives <laughs> yeah <laughs> where right. jacob went to find his wife right and so that's playing in the background as we come to this and so i i think a good question would be is how do we get from there and some may feel really uncomfortable at the suggestion to the idea of our savior knows what it's like to be tempted in this way. So first off, we have to say that Jesus is impeccable. Hmm. Now, when we say impeccable, people think like impeccably dressed or, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that's what, because that's how they're used to engaging in that particular adjective. But when we say impeccable, it is a technical term, which means unable to sin. Yes. Jesus was unable able to sin because he was not born of sin yes he is unfallen yes so he is in the context of temptation but he doesn't himself yield to temptation he does Hmm. not himself yield to sin now some people will take that and say well then jesus doesn't really understand what's like to be me he doesn't understand he doesn't have the pressure that i do because I can actually sin, and it takes mm. much more for me to battle it than somebody who can't sin. And I would turn around and say, actually, it's just the opposite. Yeah, Jesus had, at every millisecond, mm. the weight of the redemption of the entire universe on his shoulders. I cannot imagine that sort of weight. 
Yeah. But he's got that weight on him mm. in order that he not sin. If he mm. sins at any moment, all of his people are doomed to hell for eternity. Yes. And so, and he knows that. And he doesn't have this sort of like sin-free past that he can just pull out of his pocket yes. and go, you can tempt me with anything. I know for sure I will not be, I will never sin. Yes. Right. He in his humanity, in his human state, mm. knew that there was this woman who was trying to draw him into an illicit relationship. Mm. And it required of him that he keep his mind focused on what was most important. And that was her soul, mm. not her body and her yes. sexuality. Yes. And so it's really important that we understand that because if you and I are in that situation, whether it's mentally or volitionally, we make the choice. You yep. and I, every time, yep. outside of God's grace, will go that route. We will yep. do it, and we will engage in whether it's the, the mental side of it, whether it's the volitional side of it, whether it's the desiring and effective side of it. It's something you might want, you might think, you might do. Yep. And that's because we're fallen. Yeah. And we need to understand that our like in our Savior's righteousness in his in his character in his humanity yeah he's he understands what it's like to fight the battle to align your thinking your feeling and your desires or your thinking your desires and your affections yeah to righteousness that's right that's right he knows exactly what it's like to be in the midst of temptation mm-hmm. for it to be an intense temptation mm. and to push his mind focus his mind mm. his affections and therefore his behavior in a righteous direction and it's important too that we understand he does this in his humanity without because I've also heard Derek say oh Jesus was divine yeah some people think oh he's got his God card to pull out of yeah, his yeah. back pocket right. which is what you were insinuating earlier is he's got some sort of ability like his impeccability yeah and this is where mystery begins to work and work itself into we right. can't explain everything right but we have to understand that when we look at scripture he absolutely understands what it's like for us in the midst of a flirtatious offer mm-hmm. to have to align our desires towards righteousness. He understands what it's like for us, uh, f- for someone who's up late at night on a computer, Yeah, uh, the temptation to go where they should not right. uh, and to view things that they should not. Right. He understands what it's like for us to desire the wrong things. Right. So, in, and so y- you... Have have two pieces here that you need to understand from from Christ in this moment. He is asympathetic. Asympathetic. Ex- explain that. Let's, uh, well, let's well, not not asympathetic, but as an A, he is sympathetic. Oh, and and B, hmm. he is showing you righteousness. Yes, right. So A, he's sympathetic. Mm. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He he doesn't know what it's like to actually focus his mind on the wrong thing, mm. but he knows what it's like to be tempted to focus his mind on the wrong thing. Mm. And therefore, he is a compassionate and sympathetic Savior. Mm. When you come to him and you repent of sexual sin, of lust, of whatever, he doesn't look down on you and go, golly, I can't believe you did that. Yeah. He Instead, he goes, ah, I know, that is tough. Right, yeah. And thank you for mm. coming to me and for repenting. But secondly, mm. he is also showing you what righteousness looks like. Absolutely. He is being your exemplar mm. in this particular moment. Hey, when I'm thinking about uh, lusting after someone I know 
if it's a classmate, if it's a coworker, if it's a neighbor, if it's someone you're just looking on a screen for, you know what? Try praying for her soul or his soul in that moment mm. rather than lusting after them. Mm. It's really interesting. If you'll take five to ten minutes to pray for them, it is really, really difficult for you to be sexually aroused Absolutely. while you're praying for someone. Yeah. On the way to the seminary in Jackson, uh-huh. there was this little you know, interstate loop that you would have to travel on to get to the seminary. Mm. And there was this billboard that advertised a strip club, the only strip club in Jackson. Mm. And it was there every single time. I could tell you the mile marker it showed up. Yeah. And the reason I knew was because when my eyes hit that mile marker, I started praying. Mm. I prayed for the woman who was on that billboard, mm. that somehow the Lord would use this as a way to convict her and that she would know something of grace and mm. goodness, that somehow it might be something that would ultimately be a witness to her family, to friends, to a community about his grace. I prayed for the owner of that strip club, that he would be convicted, that he would shut it down. Mm. I prayed for the patrons of that club, that they would be convicted and that they would try to shepherd their own sexuality and the sexuality of others. Well, by the time I got done praying for all of those people, I was almost at the seminary. Hmm. I didn't even realize the billboard had passed. Mm. My eyes never hit the billboard. I never had to worry about the billboard causing, even in a millisecond, uh, a sense of temptation Mm. because I was too busy praying, Mm. right? So Christ Mm. sets an example for us in that he's about the soul care, even in the context of someone trying to be overtly sexual. Josh, that's so beautiful, especially because it begins to... It begins to help us understand the sympathy our, or the empathy even that our Savior has towards us. Right. That, that even if this is an area of temptation for us, it's not one that we'll face his rejection over. Right. But it also begins to help fill out our categories of righteousness as more than just the moralistic categories we're prone to think of it in. Right. It's, it's beginning to actually love people the way that you should. It's beginning to love the Lord the way that you should. Right. And there's nothing that's not beautiful about that. That's right. As, uh, as you were speaking, there's, there's, a, there's a really, we've mentioned this before, the uh, Gentle and Lowly book yeah. by Ortland. Yeah, such a great book. Uh, yeah, th- this is a really great picture of how in our Savior's understanding of our sinfulness, mm. he's secured us and will never cast us out. Right. There's a quote that I wanted to share. It said, in this chapter, he's talking about, I will never cast out, yeah. the idea. And when we look at the, the, the fact that our Savior even knows what it's like to be sexually tempted, this yeah. is something that John 6.37 becomes even more real to us because Ortland says, have you considered what is true of you if you're in Christ? In order for you to fall short of loving embrace into the heart of Christ, both now and into eternity, Christ himself would have to be pulled down out of heaven and put back in the grave. Mm. His death and resurrection make it just for Christ never to cast out his own, no matter how often they fall. But animating this work of Christ is the heart of Christ. Mm. He cannot bear to part with his own even when they deserve, they most deserve to be forsaken. Mm. But I, you might say, well, raise your objections. None can threaten these invincible words. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Mm. And that is yeah. why we have to understand the humanity of our Savior right. in the midst of even our sexual temptation. Right. Because if, 
in every way that he is unlike you, yeah. you will think that you will be cast out. Right. Because our enemy will put your his finger on that, and he yeah. will say, he actually doesn't understand you. Right. He's not a faithful Savior. But right. actually, Jesus says, no, I totally do. Right. Or he'll say, you're so broken. Mm. No, you're so broken. Yeah, exactly. You can't be fixed. You can't you be fixed. You are so bent and yeah. out of shape. Yeah. That that you're beyond this redemption. is this is a sin that Jesus even Jesus would not have understood he would not have had the temptation to engage in you my friend are beyond redemption that is what the accuser wants to tell people mm. and what the beauty of John four is is that no matter your sexual sin mm. if you come to him and you repent he is good and righteous to forgive you mm. it doesn't matter if you've had dozens of sexual partners it doesn't matter if you've been addicted to pornography since you were a teenager it doesn't matter if you've engaged in sex and had stds abortion Mm. it doesn't it doesn't preclude you from god's grace Mm. and the first thing you do you always always do when sexual sin has come up in your life is you run to the cross amen you just run to the cross and you see your savior bleeding there for you Mm. And you know that you are covered. Now, that doesn't in- enable us to sin more. Uh, it vivifies us. Mm. It, it animates us to sin less. Yeah. But you don't ever have to worry about him rejecting you when you come yeah. to him in that way. And that's, I think, the, the, the sneaking suspicion of most people's life, especially in this area with sexual temptation, is they think, this is the thing that will arouse most the severity of my Savior. Right. But it's actually something that just as much as any other sin in our lives yeah. makes him compassionate for us. Yeah. And it begins to change the way that we do it and then uh, the way that we fight it. And then it begins to help us actually long for what the righteous response is, which he has accomplished for us. Right. And, and mm. look, going back to one of our uh, previous episodes, you just look at the biblical characters mm. in Scripture who are held in the most high esteem and their own sexual sinfulness, if it's David and his infidelity and murder, mm. if it's Rahab, if it's Tamar, that those people are used. There's not a dirty to the point of Christ and his grace not being able to wash you. That was true in the old covenant. It is absolutely even more true now in the new mm. covenant. Well, that's beautiful, Josh. Thank you so much for, for that. I, I think for the sake of time, we probably need to pause here and maybe what we can do is we're actually going to lay out just a quick framework of where we're going to go from here. We're actually going to begin to talk about what it looks like now that we have a understand the heart of our Savior, that yeah. He understands us in the midst of this. Yeah. We will continue with our next episode to lay a groundwork and a framework for fighting sexual sin in each season of life, whether it's single, whether yep. it's married, whether it's celibate, yep. uh, and what that looks like in particular in each phase. Yeah. So I'm excited to see where we go from here. Man. Yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, if... You have found this helpful. Make sure that you listen in. And if you know someone you think this would be helpful for, share it with them and let us know. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can get to Josh at jadair at firstpresscolumbia.org. You can get to me, Jay Squires, at firstpresscolumbia.org. We'd love to hear your feedback. Well, wonderful, Josh. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. <laughs>